mountains. We all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. One of the most important jobs we have as parents, as schools, and in the church is to form and guide our children to be mature, confident followers of Christ. We all play a key role in their spiritual formation, but what does that actually look like on a daily basis? And how do parents and the school and the church work collaboratively to ensure our students see and hear a consistent message, both spoken and lived out in our daily lives in such a way that they're drawn to a deep and substantive faith of their own that they hold on to for a lifetime. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Welcome to another episode of Basecamp Live. Davies Owens, your host, here with you. wanted to mention a unique feature that maybe some of you are aware of, especially those who are running schools on the Basecamp Live website for years. We've had a little tab that says sharing. And if you go under that, there is an opportunity to embed, and this is going to get technical, an RSS feed, basically a link on your school's website. And I know a number of schools have done this, and it's really a pretty um, exciting feature because it automatically updates each week as the new Basecamp Live episodes drop. So if your school has a website and you don't have that link on there, you can, again, check it out right there on the sharing tab, or you can email me, info at basecamplive.com, and say, what is that RSS thing? And I'll explain it to you. But it's a wonderful feature just to keep your families aware of what's happening each week as we update these podcasts. Thanks again, as always, for partnership and connecting. It is so much fun to travel around the country and meet with so many of you. And I want to say thanks on this particular episode to our sponsors, Gordon College, uh, Wilson Hill Academy, the Classic Learning Test, and Gutenberg College. And I want to say a special word about the partnership that we have with America's Christian Credit Union. They're a banking institution that only serves and invest in kingdom causes. And so if you're managing a school or a home or a business, this organization, America's Christian Credit Union, can meet not only banking needs, but they also uphold biblical values. And you can find out why tens of thousands of families and organizations, including Basecamp Live, have chosen to bank with ACCU. All of that is at americaschristiancu.com forward slash Basecamp. So take a look at what they're doing. Again, much thanks to them and their support on this podcast. Well, I sit down in this conversation with my great friend, Dr. Chap Clark. Chap was on about a year ago and is a very well-respected scholar and researcher. He's given his life to the well-being of young people as he equips organizations and individuals to have a better understanding of millennials and Gen Z. Gen Z, up until 2018, he was the professor of practical theology and youth family and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. I remember Chap years ago when I was doing youth work, and he was one of the main uh, front speakers. Uh, back then, Chap was on Young Life staff. He'd been there for 15 years as an area director, regional director. He's also held all, a number of positions, senior editor at Youth Worker Journal, senior pastor at St. Andrews. He's been a contributing writer to the Red Letter Communicator, and he's consulted for television production companies. He's the president of two nonprofits. He's, he's doing a lot, but his heart is for the next generation. And in the process of all that, he's authored and co-authored over 25 books, including the, the award-winning Hurt 2.0, Inside the World of Today's Teenagers, the book Sticky Faith, which we talk about a bit in this episode, uh, Deep Justice in a Broken World, 
And he and his wife, Dee, they have three grandchildren and five grandchildren. Always fascinating to talk with Dr. Chap Clark. So without further ado, here is our conversation. Well, Chap Clark, welcome back to Basecamp Live. It's great to be with you again, Davies. Thank you for having me. It has been about about a year ago and we talked about cultural pivots, but Chap, I always love talking to you. You were, you were such a, really a, a role model, a mentor to me. I, it seems like it was just yesterday, although it was actually like the early nineties when I was there at, you know, PFR youth events. I was there as a young associate pastor, brought a van full of middle school, high schoolers in the early nineties. And you were up there on the stage giving us the wisdom of, of, you know, following Christ and, and growing in our faith. And it's just awesome to be still in conversation with you decades later. Thank you. I'm still doing that with them too. I got a middle school conference this summer with them. Amazing. Yeah. I'm granddaddy of five now, but um, still got you a got, good kids to hear the gospel. You still, well, on that note, because I want to talk about this idea of spiritual formation. And I mean, you've been at this for decades and you're still at it and you were fuller researching it. I mean, I don't know many people that have put more time and thought into what does it look like to have, you know, a, a young person go the distance. And we all often quote, I don't know if they will barn a stat, you know, 80% are going to wander away and 20%. I don't even know. It's probably single digits these days, but it's not necessarily good news as far as students that grow up in Christian homes and churches. And there's so many pressures and things pulling at them. So maybe walk, walk us through a little bit of just sort of when you think about this idea of like spiritual formation, that sounds like a very kind of I don't know, high church term or kind of a monkish term. What do you what do you mean when you say that when you think about it? Yeah, it is it is kind of the it's kind of the go-to term for people in theological education and and people that ask um what does it actually mean to give my life to following the God who loves me and invites me into his arms and then walk with with that God throughout the rest of my life. Uh being formed spiritually means uh, that we allow God to do his work of transformation in us. Nobody can transform another person. It's God's spirit that transforms us. That's actually core biblical theology. And so what are the processes that allow us not to get in the way of that, but to actually encourage that? Jesus said, do not hinder the children. Let them come to me in Mark 10. How do we hinder being formed spiritually, and how do we encourage and allow for kids to act, anybody to actually yeah. um, be changed by God's Spirit as we grow? Chap, we're talking about this idea of the jurisdictions between the church and the home and the school, and sort of the common uh, challenge. I think I hear it all the time, which is where schools are saying, "Well, we don't want to be the church, therefore we're going to back off," and the home is only so involved in certain things. And it kind of feels like, you know, there's like a, a fire at a house and like the police show up and they're like, well, fire department, uh, you, you know, we don't, we're not fire departments. So we're going to back off. And the fire department gets there and they're like, well, you're not technically supposed to be here because you're out of the county line. And the meanwhile, the house burns down. I mean, this is what it feels like to me. Yeah, It sounds like to me so often. And, and I want to just make sure everybody understands that we are both 100% behind the local church and you should go to church on Sunday and you shouldn't assume that just because you have a vibrant school community and you're spending so much of your time there that therefore you don't need church. But this idea that we're going to ever form our young people to go the distance and have healthy spiritual formation and we're not working collaboratively seems, it, to your point, it seems really kind of foolhardy. Yeah, I, it, there's a lot of thoughts that we could talk about here, a lot of areas. But I, I would say that the most uh, significant piece of this whole thing 
is the, what does the word Christian mean in the label that attaches itself to a school? Now, with the church, it's obvious, hopefully. And, um, and also family. What's a Christian family? And at the center of that is a loyalty to Christ and what God's purposes are as he brings his kingdom in. So, um, I, you know, we, when we, we, we think institutionally and structurally in somehow reaching kids to make them uh, more productive people, to help them to thrive developmentally, uh, underneath all that, for those of us that love Christ, the more significant thing is that we we enable them to see God for who God has revealed himself to be, especially in the person of Jesus. And that is every single Christian adult's calling is to somehow make sure that Christ is known. Uh, so that's kind of our bottom line where we start. Now, when the house burning down, um, Davies, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've been part of several research projects trying to figure out what is really happening out there. And um, it's a very small percentage of kids that are invested in the church when they're in sixth grade, that by the time they hit college are still invested in the faith. They may nod to saying they're a Christian on a survey and may even pray and read the Bible, but to be actually formed by the Spirit in community, which we call the church, um, we're losing the vast majority of our kids uh, and I would say a big part of that is because the systems around them are not integrated to participate in what God's up to in the lives of kids. And this may get into the, the sticky faith yeah. book that, you know, I was part of. Well, yeah. I mean, talk about, I mean, unpack that a little bit more around sticky faith, because you have done the research. I quote you all the time in sticky faith. And, you know, I, I think, you know, part of it is, is what are, what are those distinctives that, that students who've gone the distance have, and how is that relevant to the communities in which they've been a part of? Well, and and that's the way that the primary research for Sticky Faith um, came about. Is I did this study where kids are in general. It's called Heard Inside the World of Today's Teenagers, and then then Kara and I and our teams worked together to the College Transition Project. In other words, we took kids who were very faithfully walking with Christ, deeply involved in their church. Um, and intended to continue in their faith when they left to go to college for this particular study. And what we discovered was after two years, more than 50% of them had dropped out. So this is really the remnant that lasted through the Christian education, through the mission trips, youth ministry, uh, the family praying for them. So what did they have? Let me just real quickly go through a couple of characteristics. One is, is those kids that did stick around that did have a level of of at least perceived growth and stated commitment. Uh, They said in a survey that they liked church. They liked worship, actually, specifically. Does that mean they liked the music and the service? Eh, Not necessarily. It was a methodology that actually came out with that. It's more they felt like it was a safe place for them. They were part of the community. That's an important thing that kids understand the integration of life being located within the body that receives them. So if they know a teacher's a Christian, for example, but that teacher treats them horribly or based on performance, that's going to affect their ability to trust Christians in their church. 
That's where the integration comes in. And do they feel like they're liked and they like the environment? That's the first. Secondly, they were allowed to doubt. Um, mm-hmm. That's a big one. And I would imagine for those who are uh, sending their kids to classic Christian schools that there's a probably a little bit of reticence of giving kids voice and doubt and wrestling with really key issues of the day. By the time they go to college, if they do go to college, um, have they been given the opportunity to wrestle hard with some of these concepts they're going to face down the road? And those that were invited into that, they had a better chance to, to, um, yeah. to continue on their faith. Now, I got to say that our research also showed that even the kids that stuck around, they didn't really know the essence of the gospel, which is another reason why we got a problem when we have them in school for 40 to 50 hours or whatever it is. Uh, and we got them in church for maybe an hour and a half a week, maybe three they don't really know the gospel. And therefore, by the time they're 25, we're losing a ton of them then. Um, and when you say they don't know the gospel, you, you mean like the basic tenets of the gospel? No, that, that, not, yeah. that's, a, that's a very Western uh, medieval concept, the tenets. That has mm-hmm. been redefined here in our culture. It's not about knowing about Christ, knowing about Christianity. It's about actually knowing that God has come and God has called them and has redeemed them and invites them to follow him as his witnesses. And Jesus, by his spirit, is still in the game. And very few kids know that the vibrancy of faith is your ultimate vocari. It's Latin for all you guys, because you go to school. (laughs) So uh, your, your ultimate calling is to know him, to follow him, and to yeah. participate in his kingdom. Well, they don't know that. They know the tenets. They learn the tenets in school and in Sunday school. Yeah. Um, well, and I th- this is really, why don't we take a break? I want to come back and unpack this. Because this is really the heart of spiritual formation and certainly sort of the, to your your comment, kind of the evangelical Western church is sort of, you know, reductionistic and it's made it, you know, it's the old, here's the fire insurance, fill out the form, sign, right. you know, Jesus died for me, therefore I'm a Christian and on we go. And it, there's a whole, obviously, much more depth to it, but the school has to, what you're saying, it's got to be part of that spiritual formation process well, as well so, as the There's solutions yeah. to this too. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll come back because I know the solutions are <laughs> going to be very exciting for people to hear about. We'll be right back with Chuck Clark. I want to take just a moment during our break and let you know about the great work that's being done by Wilson Hill Academy. They offer a vibrant, rich, and accredited classical Christian education available to families and schools almost anywhere. With a click of a button, students join master teachers and friends live online from all over the world to engage in deep and lively discussions, solve math problems, conduct science experiments, translate Latin, deliver thesis presentations, and so much more. At Wilson Hill, students make lifelong friends and graduate well-prepared for college and beyond. Discover what's possible for your family or school at wilsonhillacademy.com. Over the past 2,000 years, the West has developed a successful educational model that guides students towards mature independent thought. But so many universities have abandoned that model and their responsibility to students. That's why Basecamp Live is so proud to partner with Gutenberg College, a Christian great books undergraduate college in the Pacific Northwest that embraces this time-tested approach. 
At Gutenberg, students are encouraged to boldly pursue truth within a biblical framework. They do so with peers and faculty mentors and lively small group discussions. To find out more, go to gutenberg.edu. Chaplain, when I think about spiritual formation, I, I, I always think about like you know, Richard Foster, you know, celebration of discipline. We need to be you know, in touch with these great practices like fasting and you know, it's, it's rigorous Christianity. It feels like to me, is that what you're talking about? And, and uh, well, <laughs> should we rigorous all... Christianity in, yeah. the, in the classical spiritual discipline? <laughs> uh, now I would call that doing faith. Okay. As opposed to engaging in faith. Funny, the Greek word that leads us to the words faith, believe, and trust uh, come from one basic Greek word in general, pistuo, or the noun is pistis. And what that means is, is a complete handing over of myself, all of my dreams, all of my hopes, all of my plans, uh, all, all over to this God that I throw my trust into. And then I am set free to, to follow who I am created to be and to, um, to, to move in the direction of deeper and deeper trust. That's called discipleship. And what's interesting is spiritual disciplines are not a, they're, they're not a silver bullet. I mean, uh, Richard Foster, you mentioned him, his mentor was Dallas Willard, who actually taught doctoral stuff at Fuller. And so he and I became friends over that time. But Dallas Willard's the one that said over and over again, it's not about the spiritual practices. It's about where those spiritual practices take us. People that do spiritual practices are no more holy than the next person. And what happens is, is we, we make out the doing of the practices instead of the actually being immersed in who God is and who God, God's calling us to be. So that gets us to the answers, actually, is um, the things we learned of the kids that stuck around in the sticky faith, but ever since in a lot of different ways has been corroborated is... Um, couple of things. One is developmentally for what's called a mid-adolescent, at least in my typology, the 14 to 20-year-old is so desperate for belonging that they want to just find someone that cares without a hook. The kids in the Sticky Face study, for example, believe someone cared about them regardless of their performance or abilities. They just cared for them. And every single young person has this sense, especially in this culture, that, boy, I need to, I need to know that this person is going to care for me, that I can trust that. Um, now, on the faith side of this thing, the, the greatest marker of all, clearly, is parents. The integrity and authenticity of parents' faith is the number one marker. But I actually, based on a lot of other stuff that we studied, is say that any Christian who's known by the kid as a Christian that has an integrated life in faith and, and live accordingly and treats kids accordingly is almost as important as the parents' integrity of their faith. So if nothing else, if it's not curricular, if it's not intentionally institutional, but if every single person that comes across a kid who's known as being in their role because they're a Christian if they all present the same understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ and treat kids accordingly and show they care, those are the two markers, the relational yeah. authenticity and the committed to caring that will have the greatest effect on a kid's future, future life and faith. 
Is that where you talk about the five to one ratio? Is that where yes. that comes in? And that actually comes out of the Hertz study that I did. Is is there's a lot of people that worked on the fringes of it, but it's five non-parental adults that care for kids without a hook that are that actually believe in them, support them, encourage them. Um, yes, that's the five to one. And parents can't necessarily can be a five to one because of the turnover in students. Right. Right. But they can part. They can be the next layer out, though, and they have a huge influence in the lives of kids. Well, unpack it just one more layer down. Like, what is this? If you were just fly on the wall in a school that's really living this out, and you know, wh- what would that look like in terms of just you know the the interaction? If you if you watched it between the the it, obviously they're it's a caring, Christ centered educator engaging in a very practical way with the student. Where have you seen that? done well? What does it look like uh, to you? Yeah. And this is, you're in my wheelhouse of what I've been trying to look at for a long time. And it, it's just kind of reminding teachers, it's not about the curriculum. At the end of the day, the curriculum is a series of ideas that for a lot of kids will receive in a lot of different ways on their own timetable. It's about the individual child, that they are there to be a conduit of of the great history of education that these schools represent. But deeper than that, they're, they're a conduit of care for the individual kids. So little things like knowing their name, calling them by name, knowing something about them besides the curriculum, treating them with respect and dignity, even though they don't deserve it. Um, don't have pets, those kind of things that are sort of obvious if you step back. Yeah. But right. in the in the in the day to day as teachers, it's really tough. I know that I'm not being hard on teachers, um, but I'm trying to help teachers remember why they got into teaching classical education in the first place, is because this is the best way to actually help a kid thrive and yep. succeed as an adult in society. Well, then we need to we actually got to remember that on the individual basis, on the micro basis. Then when we move to mezzo, which is the school. And, and the church and the family, those three are not institutions that compete. They're complementary uses of relational investment in kids. And that's the biggest thing of all right there, is that everyone sees themselves as complementary and they each play a piece in treating a kid with dignity and respect. And there's, not a, and there's no threat then because everyone's working in this grander scheme of collaboration. And, and I think that's the, and, and again, yeah, what I'm hearing you say, Chap, it's everything as basic as do you even know the, you know, the birth date, what, what does it do to a young person? They walk in and, you know, and, the, and that teacher recognizes it's their birthday. I mean, it seems so simple, but all of a sudden you've just, you've humanized them at a new, another level of, you know, I care about you. I know about you. I know what, I know, you know, things are happening in your life. And fortunately for a lot of our schools, we're small enough where that's easier than a lot of schools where you've got, you know, the big machine and, everyone's flying through and, you know, 30, 40 people in a room. So this is, should be, it should be happening pretty easily in our schools. Well, and well, you know, I got a little story to, on that yeah. is that, uh, for the schools. Um, it was a public school, actually a large one where this one kid that we knew pretty well was uh, just really struggling and trying to, trying to get through English, just couldn't pull it off as a, as a 10th grader. And so the teacher was a believer and a young life leader in that particular school and took a liking to this kid, which was great. And he had his open door policy at lunch. 
So when this this kid actually got a pretty bad grade, had written a really bad essay. Maybe he was lazy on it or what I don't remember. But the the teacher, instead of just giving him the grade and saying, you know, try harder, come on, I know you, you can do it. You know, the typical stuff actually said, you know, you come in at lunch sometimes. Why the next time you come in at lunch, let's take five minutes and just talk about how you're doing and what happened here and how I can help you. In other words, especially at the schools you're talking about, this is just gold. Is he invited himself a lot to come alongside of a kid for a kid to recognize that I can trust this person to help me to figure out how to perform better in the classroom and how to become more productive. Because in your schools, I'm sure kids know it's so competitive and they know when they're not doing well. But what a model to all the other kids is that he actually cares about the student in their performance right. as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's that should we should lead that as far as the type of school that we are in terms of our awareness, our engagement, and things that we do care about. And, and you know, Chad, I was thinking about just another example. A number of years ago when I was head of school in Atlanta, interestingly, we had a, uh, had a conversation with a, I guess at that point, ACSI sort of, which is not the classical yeah. side of Christian education. They had initiated a study where they were sending out different people to different types of schools just to ask, you know, how do you do, how does, what does discipleship look like in the life of a Christian school? And, and I shared some things we were doing. I said, well, tell me what you've seen. What's a best practice. And this always struck me so profoundly. He said, well, the school that I was in, he said, it was not uncommon on a typical school day or maybe every other couple of days that the head of school would get on the intercom system and say, you know, students, I need to interrupt you just for a moment. We have uh, something we need to be praying for in the life of our school, if everyone would please, you know, take a knee next to their desk. And this isn't like 9-11. This is just like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't small prayers, if you will, but it was, it was modeling. It was, prayer needs to happen more frequently than probably it usually does. And we're taking a posture on our knee and the whole prayer lasted 30 seconds. Everybody's right back into their curriculum. So, but I thought, wow, that, that's a really intriguing idea because it's modeling school-wide a posture that we are really going to believe this prayer thing is more than just something token we do because we're a Christian school. And then what would that do to the thinking of that student if that was the kind of school environment you were in? So I'm always intrigued by like, how do we really do this at a level that really reflects what we believe? Yeah. And that, I love that. Um, actually, and the old cynic in me says, though, as long as the relation, the relational connectedness it lines up with the commitment to something like prayer as a practice. Yeah. Right. Uh, because kids will say oh, we pray, but that, that same, you know, principal yelled at my friend yeah. yesterday for no good. Reason. <laughs> right. Right. And that undercut, and in it, fact, it makes it worse because then they go, I can't yeah. trust these people. Well, and, and I think, and I want, I want to take another break and we'll come back because I want to talk about sort of this on the kind of the family side of things. But I think part of the difficulty too is we are in this, kind of therapy, everything's therapeutic right now. And I think one of the things I hear from school leaders all the time is just, it's challenging because so often parents, especially since COVID are, are even more protective of anything difficult for their children. And there's this sense in which anything that is de- overly demanding or, or, or their struggle, or there's having to be disciplined in some way that that is, that's, they want them to avoid that. And it just makes sort of for softer faith and softer lives. So I think there's, it's a challenging because it's a challenge because I do think there are times, whether it's around academic issues or, or just, you know, it's the, it's the pruning that we need to do in love just to say, Hey, here's a, 
area where I want to encourage you in your life and challenge you, that takes time. And it also may be uncomfortable to have to work through some of those things, which again, well, Davies, I hope you let me have a shot at this after the break. <laughs> <laughs> this is what good. do you think about that chap? Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, I poked the bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, I thought you were taking a break. Oh, well, I want to, um, well, we can take a, let, let me put an end on that so we can edit that back and then I'll, I'll say, um, all right, hang on, let me take a pause. So, Chap, that's a big idea of sort of finding that balance. Let's take a quick break. I want to get your thoughts on it. We'll be right back and hear more of your great wisdom on how we provide spiritual formation in the lives of our students. You choose a traditional education for a reason. So why use standardized tests that don't reflect that? Basecamp Live is proud to partner with Classic Learning Test, which offers online academic assessments that strengthen a traditional education. CLT's assessments for grades 3 through 12 provide a meaningful metric of students' abilities, equipping parents and educators, and helping students pursue a fulfilling future. Explore CLT's assessments by visiting www.cltexam.com forward slash Basecamp. As schools and families, we engage with businesses every day, and unfortunately, many of them are increasingly embracing more progressive ideologies and practices. That's why Basecamp Live, we're proud to partner with America's Christian Credit Union, a banking institution that only serves and invests in kingdom causes. So whether you're managing a school, a home, a small business, ACCU can meet your banking needs while upholding biblical values. Find out why tens of thousands of families and ministries across the country, including Basecamp Live, have chosen to bank with ACCU by going today to americaschristiancu.com slash Basecamp Live. Chapter right before the break, we're talking about this idea of how do we, how do we, you know, help uh, disciple and encourage and form students, which often can be a challenging process. I mean, we are broken people, and a lot of times you got to dig deep into hard issues, um, hard and heart at the same time. How do we do that, especially as schools? Again, we, you know, we've got a lot of things we're trying to balance here in the in in, in this process of doing this as a school. What do you think? What What are some best practices? Uh, well, before we move to best practices, I just have to make one comment about the the idea that that there's complaining from institutional sources, and that's true across the board. It's coaches, it's public schools, it's everybody that deals with kids of a a therapeutic culture, and that kids are being coddled, and then the the flippant line that I know you used it as an example. Maybe that was with me off air, but, uh, you know, because they quote, because they have uh, 30 minutes of homework. Um, you know, there's a, there's plenty of evidence that this is a very serious day and age, especially for young people growing up. I mean, there is so much evidence. I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm part of a conference for uh, Gen Z mental health here in a couple of months in Atlanta. And, and because all the evidence points to, yeah, there's a real crisis going on. On the other hand, there is the sense that so many kids are are wandering aimlessly, and and a lot of parents are worried if they get pushed too hard, they're going to get pushed over the edge. There's evidence that that happens, but also yeah. there's a reality 
to people that are trying to do something with the kid, in this case, a teacher um, or a school, is having a hard time to do with that. Yeah. And the question that I think you asked me was, what's the balance of caring and coddling? And I've, I said, I think that frames this wrongly, that instead is recognizing that it's a very unsettling world we live in. And teenagers especially are trying to navigate something that all these different models are showing them all kind of different pathways. And a lot of them are just really destructive, whether it's technology or, as we said, sports heroes or music heroes, but political leaders. I mean, you name it. Where do they go in order to have enough trust where they can give themselves to something by working hard? And I would say that teacher with that story I told you of that kid, first of all, that kid was our son who was told by his counselor, you'll never go to a four-year college. And this teacher helped get him into Whitworth University where he ended up with a 3.7 and now he's got a master's degree as a pastor. So it's like somebody believed in him. So you can believe in someone and then help them to be stronger and more disciplined to go after the things that are important. You can do the yeah. same, the, them together. Yeah. It's it's not either or. It's that's the whole package of how you lead kids today. Yeah. So that well, that's in general what I'd say. But uh, to get back to you know what about the family? Because parents, man, parents are tearing their hair out trying to figure out with the isolation, even pre-COVID, but then since COVID. And the way kids are are not so easily fit into boxes anymore. Um, how do you help them to have a vibrant faith? Well, it's really the authenticity of your faith in a way that is producing the fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5, especially 23, 24, 25, 26 in there. And then Colossians 3, 12 to 15. I mean, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and patience and mm-hmm. humility, etc. And in other words, if we live that way and lead our kids that way with humility, patience, gentleness, but also with strength. I love First Thessalonians 2. It's my favorite parenting passage and my favorite discipleship passage, especially verses 11 and 12, like a father. We were there to encourage, comfort, and urge you to live lives worthy of God. Well, think, look at those words, first encourage. That means to implant courage in our kids' life, to give them a sense to be courageous, that they have power to change things and change the world. So teaching them to believe in themselves and have courage with that. Comfort. See, this is, you know, both of those, that's the, that's the two-headed coin to caring for kids, not only implant courage, but also comfort when it's hard or they fail. And then lastly, to urge. It's not an urging of hammering a kid when they mess up. Or even the word challenge is not is a word that I really try to teach my students over the years to, to avoid that word as much as possible because challenge is a hierarchical power-oriented word as opposed to encourage, comfort, and an urge, which I believe it means urging of that there is a hope, there's a trajectory. God's at work. That's what that passage says, First Thessalonians yeah. 2, check it out. To give them hope. If if the if parents are doing that, you like a father, you give encouragement, comfort, and hope. And then the school's doing that, and then the church is doing that. A kid is gonna have a much better shot to say, 
God's created me in order to make a difference in the world, and I'm going for it. So, so Chubbs, if That's maybe bring it down like podcast, I know, but no, <laughs> I got on a roll. No, this is all this is all good, and it's all it's all um, yeah. I mean, everything we're talking about is worthy of, of of a much deeper dive, and um, just to kind of you know, I think bookmark the the point that we're trying to make here. You know, we're talking about spiritual formation, what it looks like in the school, what does it look like in the home, you know, to encourage and comfort and provide um, that hope. But again, what maybe just a couple examples that you've seen of what like just super practical, what does that look like? Because I, I think everybody's going to agree, yeah, we want to encourage them and we want to comfort them and challenge them when, the, when you know, in the appropriate way, as you explained. Where have you seen that? I, you know, I, I was point to things like, well, we should have meals together and we should go to church. I mean, we always say these things. Are there other really in, in profound examples that you think should be there for healthy spiritual yeah, formation uh, at home? And, and here's one example. It's related to both school and church is that I think parents should be way more concerned with, with walking alongside their kid with the ideas that teachers are trying to present than the homework and the outcome of the homework and the grade being the thing that they focus on. In other words, did you do your homework yet is not helpful to a kid. Right. But if right. it's, can you talk to me for five minutes about what, what the homework's about? What are you thinking? Yep. And what do you yep. think of it? Give them a chance to engage the idea. And that way a parent is building a trust level that that school is not simply about performing with some, for somebody else's agenda, but it's actually, it's actually entered, entering into the journey of a kid trying to figure out how to how to take this stuff and integrate in their life. So that's one example. Another is is uh, technology. All technology is turned off a half an hour before dinner and a half an hour after, uh, until a half an hour after. Everybody comes to finish the prep for the meal. Everybody has the meal. Maybe you can only do it twice a week, or if you can do it four times a week, awesome. And then everybody helps clean up instead of chores. Chores, what a dumb word. How about participating <laughs> in the ongoing life of a family? Yep. And see, these are very, very practical ways for parents to engage their kids in deeper ways, in more joyous ways. And then thirdly, is to expose their kids to a bigger world than they normally experience. Is instead of that vacation you're planning for this summer, could you possibly do two and one be a fun vacation and one be somehow getting rolling up your sleeves and serving somebody right. else. Absolutely. These are very practical ways to encourage kids to think deeper about all of life and then bring Christ in the middle. That's excellent chap. Well, and there's a lot more we can talk about. Are there any, you know, think about family, kind of end on this question, just think about sort of family devotions. We all hear we should be doing that. We know that's part of spiritual formation, but again, things can become very mechanistic and rote and insincere and it actually works the opposite way. What, where have you seen, what does healthy sort of spiritual formation as far as devotion life look like? I know it's also different whether you're in a, you know, early grammar school or in an upper school. What do you, any quick thoughts on that? Yeah. Is, uh, is, is in my research, family devotions are at best neutral generally and at worst destructive to a kid's future faith, frankly. <laughs> That's a, there's a whole nother podcast. Well, we should do. there yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it. But yeah. then we get to the positive of this. What's yeah, the yeah. point of a family devotion? Not, not formality and nothing forced, but to invite kids into conversations and where it's just a free-for-all at some point of mm -hmm. the meaning of 
the life of Jesus and what he did and what he taught. And, and literally, uh, read one story from the Gospels once a week in the family and say, what do you think of this? How can we yeah. do this same thing? And in other words, not make it something, sit on, shut up, we're going to love God. I mean, come right. on. So I'm, I know yeah. that's an exaggeration, but Davies, the idea is to get our kids enamored with the beauty and mystery of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And if they if they fall in love with Jesus, that's where the story actually begins. That's a great word, Chop. Well, thanks again. I think we've identified at least three more podcast topics <laughs> in this hey, one topic, hey, but it's funny. good. I'm available to you and your and your I, team. <laughs> man, Chop, we appreciate it. Well, thanks so much again for being on this episode. We will definitely have you back and continue these conversations. Thanks so much. Thanks, Davies. See ya. They always say. Time flies when you're having fun, and it is amazing that another episode of Basecamp Live has come to an end. Thank you so much for staying to the very end to listen. It's always a privilege to have you part of our listening journey. Shoot us an email, info at Basecamp Live. Love to hear from you and love to know what is on your mind. Also want to say one more time, a big thank you to our our episode sponsors, Gordon College, Gutenberg College, Wilson Hill Academy, Classic Learning Test, and America's Christian Credit Union. Join us next week for another episode. Tell your friends, tell your schools about the many things we're doing. You can go to basecamplive.com and hear all the details. And we will see you again in a week.